Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who has opinions about different Bible websites. And I don't know if I could name a single Bible website, and that's why we have this show. Uh, for the record, uh, Bible Hub is better, but Bible Gateway is prettier, so I end up using it more often. Well, now we know if anyone was really curious about it. All right. Normally, I show up at uh, these sort of recordings with some sort of hot take about social media or contemporary things that involve religion that pique my interest. And I don't have any of those this week. I just want everyone to know that if you're not following Brian on Twitter, you're really sleeping on a lot of gems. Brian got a Twitter like a month ago. It's very recent. And he's already (laughs) totally winning Twitter. (laughs) So please follow. Is it Brian Matthias or Brian J. Matthias? It's Brian J. Matthias. At Brian J. Matthias. I'll link to it in the episode notes as well but please follow brian on twitter and if you haven't followed us on twitter at school for heathens maybe i'll just start retweeting him on the school for heathens account more often because it's gold yeah if that happens assume it's uh shannon retweeting me and not me retweeting me i did that once and then i got i got shamed for it (laughs) i do sometimes accidentally (laughs) like brian's tweets on the school for heathens account so if Brian is getting any kind of social media attention from our account, just know that it's me and not Brian. <laughs> okay, Brian, what are we talking about this week? Well, this week we're going to talk about creationism. Oh boy, that is a big topic. It is a big topic. This is going to span two episodes. Oh great, that's even better. Yeah. So for people who have not heard of it, creationism is the idea that the universe was created by the specific acts of a divine being instead of just purely through natural processes like evolution. Okay, so this is the, and then there was light, God created the earth, etc., etc. school of thought. Exactly, and that's exactly where we're going. Uh, the specific acts of God that Christians point to are written about in the book of Genesis. Yeah, that's the first one, right? It is the first one. I'm slowly figuring them out. Look at you learning stuff. <laughs> that's what we do show! <laughs> so a thing that you might not know is there are actually two creation stories in Genesis. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, like... So one of them is the Earth and what is the other one? They're both that. Okay. <laughs> so they were likely written by two different people. Although there are some people who think that they're both written by the same person. We say one is written by the Yahweh source and the other one is written by the priestly source. Okay. And they're both in the book of Genesis? They are. Right one after the other. Oh, great. (laughs) I guess since I've never read the book of Genesis, I never realized that that was the way that worked. Yeah, and for the most part, people kind of blend the two when they're talking about the creation story. Okay, so Uh, which one is which? So the first story is uh, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. This story, uh, so when God created the heavens and the earth, it was a formless, watery void. Then God says, let there be light. Yes. And there was light, and it was good. Then he separates the light from the dark, and this creates day and night. And it was good? And 
We don't say it was good, but it was also good. He okay. probably thought it was good. <laughs> I was really hoping that all of these ended with, and it was good, and then I could chime in every time. I wish I had the poetry to have set it up like that. Like, the actual book is set up like that. There's a lot of repetition of, and it was good, but you're not going to be able to guess exactly where it was good in Damn. how I've written my notes. <laughs> okay. So once we get day and night, what comes next? So that was the first day. Okay. This is, is there seven days? There are seven days. Six of them are creation. Okay. Then God says, let there be a dome in the waters. And this separated the above waters from the below waters. With a dome? With a dome. I guess I didn't realize it was a dome. The dome is sky. Okay, now I get it. <laughs> he basically made a planet. Sort of? Kind of. He made the pocket of air between the, like, cloud water and the, like, sea water. Yes. He, he, <laughs> he created a smaller space that is the universe. Or from the universe, he sort of condensed it into one orb. S- I guess it's a dome. It's, we're kind of just talking about We differentiated Earth, between sky and space. Yeah. Yeah, we've got, well, it's the above waters. So, like, the, the what's going to rain down. Yeah. We, <laughs> we don't get beyond that. Okay. So we split the water in half. Water that falls from the sky and water that is in the ground. Yes. Got it. Uh, the second day. <laughs> uh, then God said, let the waters be gathered together so that land can appear. He called this land Earth and the water seas and... It was good? It was good. It was good! (laughs) Then he called forth trees and plants of every kind, and... It was good! The third day. (laughs) Great. (laughs) It was good on that third day. So we have seas, and we have land, and we have trees and plants. Yes. Great. Then God said, let there be lights in the sky to separate the day and the night, and be signs of the days, the seasons, and the years. God made a greater light to rule the day, and a lesser light to rule the night. And he also made stars. And they were all good. Great. Sun, moon, stars. Got and, it. And that was the fourth day. Woohoo! I don't know if you noticed this. We've gotten to the fourth day before we got the sun. So where the light and the dark are coming from is not discussed before also, this. Also how plants existed before <laughs> there was sunlight. Or maybe the plants didn't do so good in the like in between the creation and the sun. And they were like, oh, maybe we need a second thing. We need something to fuel the plants. Maybe. Maybe that was, maybe God was like working through this as uh, he was going. Problem solving, day by day. <laughs> Next, God created sea monsters and all the other creatures to, f- to fill the waters and birds of all kinds to fill the skies. Great. <laughs> he, uh, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. Great. The fifth day. The fifth day. <laughs> the birds, sea monster day. <laughs> birds and sea monsters. <laughs> I wonder what whoever wrote this thought of as a sea monster and were all fish and things sea monsters or was he specifically thinking of like giant squid it might have been it's there's lots of debates about like what the sea monster is it's just one of the the water creatures okay i just know (laughs) that when i think sea monster i think giant squid oh i'm thinking like chithulu (laughs) okay (laughs) but whatever so then God brought forth creeping things, wild animals, and cattle of every kind, and he saw that it was good. So many cattle. Yeah, so... <laughs> Is this why you like cows so much, Brian? Uh, no. I. It's just a happy coincidence. Okay. Because the Bible seems to really like cows. And it's exciting to me that <laughs> these are the three types of animals. Creeping things, wild animals, and cattle. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Perfect. That's all you need. 
and he saw that this was good. And then God created humans in his image. And it says uh, specifically, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Oh, wow. We're recreating them a lot. Yeah, it's very poetic and pretty. And so he created male and female at the same time in this. There's not... Ah, this is where the divergence with the rib and the bits happens. Yes. Okay, so male and female created at the same time in this version. Yeah, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Ah, there's like a godly, like, command to take over. Yeah, you're in charge. I find that interesting. And he, this is even more interesting. He said that they can have all of the plants for food, and the animals can also have the plants for food. God technically doesn't give us meat to eat until later. Interesting. Do <laughs> vegetarians, like, use this as a thing? I don't know. I'm sure there are some, like, veg- like hardcore vegetarian communities that are like, this is biblically ordained. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was good. <laughs> Great. And that was the sixth day. Okay. And now the seventh day is not creation. What is the seventh day? So the seventh day, everything was finished, and he rested. Um, And then he made this day holy to commemorate the fact that he had created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day he rested, which is why we get the commandment to rest on the Sabbath. Ah, yes. This is is where Sundays happen. Yeah. Great. And then other people have feelings about Sundays, but I'm not going to make you try and explain Seventh-day Adventism right now. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's also, like... Some people say it's Saturday. Some people say it's Sunday. It's, we won't, that's a whole different topic. Yeah. If you have questions about Seventh-day Adventists, <laughs> listen to Ono Ross and Carrie's series on Amazing Facts. That'll get you caught up to speed on how that works, because that's how I know anything about this controversy. Nice. You probably know more about it than I do, because I actually don't know a ton about Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, well, I've listened to several hours of podcasts <laughs> about them, so maybe for once we have found a religious topic that I know more than Brian about. Oh, maybe I'll make you uh, tell me that one. Oh, God. So much research. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> Fair. All right. So on the seventh day, he rested, and we had the Sabbath, and then what? And that's the end of that first creation story. Okay. Is this the Yahwehist version, then? Or is this the priestly version? Oh, shoot. I didn't write that down. I want to say... I want to say this is the Yahweh one. It feels more touchy-feely in a way that Yahweh sounds like it is. I wanted to... I actually want to say that this is the priestly and the second one is the Yahwehist. But I did not write that down. Oops. <laughs> Somebody send us a correction. Tweet uh, us. Email us. Something. I don't need this judgment. <laughs> no, but you're going to get it. <laughs> So it bumps right up to the second story. All right. Tell me the second story. The second story is God first made the earth and the heavens. There were no plants because it had not rained and there was no one to till the earth. Okay. So in this version, earth exists. It's just sad. God, yeah. God made it. And, and that's kind of how we start. Alone. It seems like it, like he made it on this one day, this like rock, this barren rock. And then, then he continues on. Okay. So he starts with the rock in this one. Pretty much. Yeah. All right, what happens next? And there was a stream. There was a single stream that watered the whole earth that God created. God took some dust and he mixed it with some water from the stream Mm -hmm. and he formed man. Okay. So man shows up way early in this version. Mm -hmm. And God breathes into the man's nostrils and he becomes a living being. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. 
<laughs> and also, I'm saying man, but this is also Adam because the word that gets used is Adam, which okay. it just means man in some translations, and then in others, people use it as a name. Okay, but this first guy who gets created is Adam. Yeah, this is who you're thinking of as Adam. All right, that's good to know. So then God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put man there. And there was every kind of tree that was beautiful to look at and good for food. And at the center were the trees of knowledge and life, okay. which we Two talked about in our yeah. first episode. We did in our original sin episode, TBT. Uh, this story also notes that there's a river that flows out of the garden that splits into four branches. The first branch was Pishon that, fo- that flows into Havilah, where there is gold, specifically good gold. Ooh, as opposed to not good gold. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it's what makes this better gold than other gold, but you know. Well, whatever. now I want to know. <laughs> the second is Gion, which flows into Cush. The third is the, the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. Mm-hmm. And the fourth is the Euphrates. At least two of those three rivers I can confirm are real-life rivers. Yeah, those last two are indeed rivers that I have heard of. <laughs> For all we know, the other two also exist. Right, I don't know. Yeah. I only know things about religion, guys. <laughs> and I usually am the one who knows things about geography, but I've been beat on this one. So, God put man in the garden to till it, and he told him that he could eat from any tree except the tree of knowledge. Yep, that's the rules. And then God said... It's not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a helper as a partner. And then God started making animals and bringing them one by one to the man. And as they were brought to him, he named them each. But none of them were very good partners. Okay. (laughs) But I'm going to just point this out and talk about this in our original Sin episode. But the idea that he needs a helper and that's why women exist is all the patriarchy. So a helper as a partner... Does feel more equitable. That's true. I specifically took that from there. It's okay. not just a helper. It's a helper it's a partner. And a partner. Okay, I like that. I also like the idea that all these animals are like, you're a good helper, but you're not a very good partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cows, not good partners. <laughs> Dog, very good partner. Not necessarily very good at helping. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been trained well. We haven't we haven't found the sweet spot. <laughs> How do we get there? So God puts Adam to sleep, and he pulls one of his ribs out, and then he closes up the hole left behind, and he makes that rib into a woman. And then the man says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and this one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. And then the story ends by saying that this is why a man leaves his parents and gets married, and with his wife they become one flesh. Okay. So we get creation and marriage. Yeah. Now, this sets up the original sin story that we talked about in our first episode, but is the original sin story technically applicable to both of these creation myths? So it's... Creation stories. I don't want to offend anyone by assuming that their religion is a myth. I mean, I would call them myths. I think you're fine. Okay. It flows out of the this second story. Okay. But if you're taking the view that all of this is one story together, then you would say it's applicable to both. Okay. Um, there's a lot of debate in that area whether it's two separate things or should be combined. Interesting. Because you'll notice that the two of these don't really match. No. 
I mean, there are parts of them that kind of match, but parts of them don't. Beyond the like order of things, there's also it's a it's kind of a different image of God in both. The first story is an image of God who creates certain things on certain days. It's very orderly and precise, and God speaks things into being, and they just exist. And it builds to creating humans, an unspecified number of humans. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then in the second story, we don't have that orderly framework. There's no number of days. We see a more present God who is physically doing things, like breathing life into people, forming things out of clay. Um, we start with one person, and then we make animals, and then we make a woman. So, very different. Yeah. How do we reconcile these? Some say that it's just divine poetry, and it provides the balance of the grand powerful god with the connected personal god that cares about each person. Mm-hmm. That's true. Those are different. But we're talking about creationism, which is necessarily more literal interpretations So we won't go that route. Okay. Some people say that the second story just goes into more detail about the sixth day. That it's just like a zoom in on the sixth day thing. Yeah, which kind of works. It feels like a stretch to me. But not really. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I guess I understand why people like the idea of God being this sort of like orderly and deliberate person. But I don't know. I kind of like the like touchy-feely hands-on God. I do too. And it's like, I'm trying to not sort of balk at the, like, born from a man's rib thing, which I think is easy to stop on. But the rest of that story feels so grounded Mm -hmm. and so much more connected in a way that, I don't know, just feels more appealing to me. Yeah, we'll we'll get to it in a second, but I can help you out a little bit with the rib part. Okay, cool. I look forward to hearing about that. Some people say that on the creating humans part... Okay, no, I'm getting into it right now, actually. Okay. I thought I thought it was going to be a little bit further down my notes, but no, I just uh, realized that's what we're talking about right now. Awesome, I love that. <laughs> so some people say that the man in the second story actually contained both man and woman. Because if you think about the language in the earlier one, we said in his image, he created them, male and female, he created them. Yeah. So some people say that that creation was all one thing all and all contained in God. So we're starting out with this one creature that is both. You know what that reminds me of? Have you heard the Greek myth about how humans were originally like two halves Mm -hmm. and then something happens and they get split and that's like, I think the story is like why people have soulmates is the story, but it's also sort of a like male-female thing. Yeah. And that feels very reminiscent of this idea that the original man in the second story sort of was both man and woman combined. That's definitely very similar to this idea. Cool. And so, it, yeah, it's the idea that it's they're both contained, and then the instead of it being woman pulled from man like as a derivative, it's uh, the two split apart mm-hmm. is the idea. And this kind of gets supported by the text, because the word used for man, uh, ha-adam, that I mentioned earlier, it changes after we have a separate woman and separate man. They use a different word for man. Interesting. They use uh, ish. Uh, and then the the woman word is isha, isha, isha. I'm sorry, everyone. Guys, I'm trying. <laughs> this is not a show about pronunciation. This is not a show about Brian knows ancient Hebrew. That's <laughs> or, real. Or any kind of Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's fascinating to me. The idea that, like, 
Adam has a name before Eve, and then he has a different name after Eve that sort of indicates that something about him is fundamentally changed by this removal of a part of him that creates another being. Yeah, so it's a, it's definitely a different interpretation mm. way to look at it. No, I like that a lot. Thank you for helping me reconcile that. Yeah, I also enjoy it as a thing to reconcile for myself. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> then on plants being created before humans, trying to reconcile that, some suggest that in the first story, the original creation was of the botanical world just as an overview and the emphasis is just there are plants that exist and then in the second story there's plant reproduction that has not commenced yet and it's a whole like (laughs) i don't completely understand this theory oh wait back up are we saying that people are offended that god created plants before he created humans no that people are trying to reconcile the fact that plants are created first in one and people are created first in the other okay that makes sense. So this thing is basically like, in the one where he didn't create plants yet, he did create Earth, and he never specifically mentions plants there, so there could be plants, they just had multiplied yet. Yeah, it's, he created them, but there wasn't moisture or anyone to cultivate it yet, so they didn't do anything yet. I'm rolling my ass. The guy who popularized this was Jacobus Melach. <laughs> Ooh, guys, I'm, here we go, here we go on this I'm name. I'm taking a deep breath. <laughs> Melanth- Melanthathon Williams Jacobus Sr., a Presbyterian minister. From what year? 1864. He has way too much name to be from 1864. <laughs> like, they all should have had normal names by then. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Yeah, that one was rough. <laughs> and that's not even an ancient Hebrew name. And, okay, so moving on, pretending that didn't happen. <laughs> Another one that we try to reconcile is animals maybe could have been created before they were brought to man to be named. And we don't know how long before they were created. So maybe they were created before man. We don't know anything about when they were created. We just know when they were brought to man. Right. So that's how that tries to get reconciled. Okay. I actually am willing to give that one a pass. That seems (laughs) about as reasonable a justification as any of these. Yeah, it's trying to reconcile them if you look too closely at it gets rough in some points. Yeah, they're all trying way too hard. (laughs) So we have these two stories, and for a long time, we didn't have a better answer to when and how the world was created. So this was just the common belief for Jews and Christians. Other groups had their own creation stories that they followed for a long time. Mm -hmm. And we don't even get the first mention of the word creationist until we get a letter that was written by Charles Darwin in 1856. I love that Darwin is the guy who coined the term for the people who would then spend all of history since trying to counteract Darwin. I mean, and that's why, because it was the first real time when it came into conflict and you needed a word to describe these other people who didn't believe in evolution on religious grounds. True. I just like the idea that Darwin got to, like, Name the group of people who opposed him. <laughs> I mean, the, the idea itself started a little bit earlier, kind of the beginning of the 17th century, as the study of fossils grew in popularity. So we started to have this evidence emerge of animals becoming extinct and other animals emerging later. Mm-hmm. And scientists tried to reconcile what they were discovering with the traditional religious beliefs. Okay. So this is how we get the idea of progressive creationism which is the idea that there have been multiple creations throughout time. 
Interesting. One of the earliest proponents of this theory was Georges Culver, a... Ooh, it's French. That's probably not how you pronounce that. Let me see it. C-U-V-I-E-R. C-U-V-I-E-R. Cuvée? Maybe. I don't speak French. He was a French naturalist in the 18th century. Okay. His theory was each time there is a creation, the plants and animals appear fully formed in their final state. Yep. And then there's a long period of stasis before God wipes everything out and then starts again. Some people think that the flood with Noah's Ark was one of these great events that wiped everything out. Okay. And this is how people are justifying fossils? Yeah. Great. That makes sense. Because there's changes, but it's not that it's changes over time, it's that it's separate creations. Okay. Over and over and over again. Another person who has another long French name, I'm not even gonna try. One of his names in the middle there is Charles, so we're gonna call him Charles. Okay. <laughs> he was a French paleontologist in the 17th century, and he believed that there had been 27 catastrophic worldwide events over the course of history where God wiped out all life on Earth and started creation again. Wow, 27 is a lot. That is a lot of events, but I mean, if you're looking at all the different layers of things... That's true. So the other problem that scientists were starting to discover in this era was that fossils of similar animals were clustered in similar areas. So if everything was created in the Garden of Eden, either in one creation or multiple creations, how did similar things keep ending up in the same spot? So this led to the centers of creation theory. Okay. Is this like every time God wiped the slate clean, he rebuilt in another spot? No, it's it's a theory that... He had six spots, and every time he wiped it out, he would reboot similar things in in the six spots. So everyone has their own little regeneration point. Yeah, and he designed animals specifically for the spot where he was going to put them. Okay. These were like people trying to still just wrestle with their traditional beliefs, but also take into account this new information. All right. Seems like they're doing a pretty good job, given what they have, to like justify this stuff. Yeah, and... These were still scientists doing that, but a lot of this scientists trying to reconcile kind of went out the window after Darwin's On the Origin of the Species in 1859. Darwin just mixing it up. You know it. Uh, Religion took a little bit longer, but today Catholics, Orthodox Christians, most Orthodox Christians, and most Protestants believe in theistic evolution. Theistic evolution is the idea that God is the creator, but he works through natural processes like evolution to accomplish his work. Okay, and is that different from intelligent design? Yes. And if we're going to get into that later, like, we don't have to delineate those now, but I'm just curious because that's a phrase that I know people use. Intelligent design doesn't generally believe in evolution. Okay. It's things are created as they are. Okay. So this basically says evolution is real, but it's because God initiated it. Yeah, it's basically... God is the Big Bang. Okay. Is this theory. And then everything from there is just God set up everything and it just kind of went. All right. The reason I said some Orthodox Christians is because I know that there are some that also believe in a concept called dualism. Okay. Which is that both evolution and the creation stories are true. They're getting at the same truth. They just have different methods of doing it. So it's holding that tension but I don't know enough about that to really explain more than that. <laughs> Interesting. I'm fascinated. Um, and that's not all Orthodox Christians. That's just a belief that some have. 
Cool. And then the other side of it is evangelical Christians, for the most part, particularly in America. Uh, they have a wider variety of opinions about creation, and that's where you get more into the creationism. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get more into that on part two. Awesome. Shall we take a break and come back for some fun? We should. Let's do it. And we're back. Over the break, Shannon and I checked out which was the correct source on each of those. I was right. The priestly source is the first one, and the Yahweh source is the second. Great. Well, I'm glad that you were right about that, Brian. I think that it sort of makes sense either way. What saint are we talking about? Yeah, so now it is time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. And we've been doing okay in the new year, so what saint is it this week? Yeah, so this week is St. Alphonsus Maria de Ligori. Oh man, this is just a podcast full of Brian saying names. I did this to myself. I know you did. (laughs) All right, tell me about this saint. I like St. Alphonsus, and I didn't realize that he had more to his name, so he's going to just be St. Alphonsus. Hey, that's fine. If that's what people know him (laughs) as, then that's what he's known to us as. Alphonsus was born to a noble family in 1696 near Naples, Italy. Okay. He was a child prodigy and very well educated. He received his doctorate in law from the University of Naples at the age of 16, and he started his own legal practice at 21. Wow. And he never attended court without going to mass first. But like, is there mass every day? Can you do that? There is mass every day except one day. So you're just not allowed in court on that one day? Do you, do you know? want to guess what day it is? <laughs> Saturday? No, one day of the whole year, not of the week. Oh! <laughs> one day of the whole year. Is it New Year's Day? Nope. Is it the day after Christmas? It is not. It is Good Friday. Okay, so that's like around Easter? Yeah. Right, okay. right before, the Friday before Easter. Back to Alphonsus. Okay, so no court on Good Friday Alphonsus. <laughs> he loved music and played the harpsichord. Okay, cute. He also loved listening to opera, but was annoyed with overdone staging, so he would just close his eyes and listen. <laughs> That's so cute! <laughs> this guy is so cute! <laughs> he grew increasingly discontent with the secular world and began to feel a call to the religious life. He was ordained at the age of 29. And he stayed in Naples and became a preacher and a writer. He was opposed by the church for his apparent laxity towards sinners and was opposed by government officials who didn't like religion. Wow, this guy can't win. He founded the Redemptoristines, it's a women's order, in 1730, and the Redemptorists, the men's order, in 1732. I like that he founded the women's order first. Yeah. I, I don't know what that's about. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not sure why. He was appointed a bishop by Pope Clement XIII in 1762, and he revitalized his diocese that had a bad reputation. He also developed severe rheumatism as he was working as a bishop, and he had to retire in 1775 due to his poor health. But he had to come out of retirement in 1777 when the royal government threatened to disband the Redemptorists because they thought that they were secretly carrying out the work of the Jesuits, who had been disbanded in 1773. All right, at some point, we had to do an episode on Jesuit drama. Oh, we totally do. Okay, I'm just making that note. <laughs> They've done a lot of things. <laughs> he defended his order so well that he gained the king's approval. 
But at this point, he was nearly blind, so he was tricked into signing a deal that was more favorable to the king than to him. Pope Pius VI saw this and condemned it, and he removed Alphonsus from his leadership role. This caused a crisis of faith for him, but he was able to overcome it by the time he died. He died in 1787 at the age of 91, and he was declared a doctor of the church by Pius IX in 1871. And I have one more fun story about his life. Okay. Uh, When he was a bishop, one of his priests was leading a worldly life and refused to change. Alphonsus summoned him to his study, and when the priest got there, there was a large crucifix on the threshold. The priest hesitated to step on the crucifix, and Alphonsus quietly said, Come along, and be sure to trample it underfoot. It would not be the first time you have placed our Lord beneath your feet. I love that. (laughs) That is harsh in a way that I totally can get behind. (laughs) So, Shannon, what is Alphonsus the patron saint of? Oh, man, he has led such an interesting life that it's really hard to decide. And I had a good idea early in his story, and then it totally slipped my mind. I'm going to guess, though, is he the patron saint of the blind? He is not. Okay. But that's a good guess. There was that whole bit about him being blind, so. So really close to that, he is the patron saint against arthritis. So when he has the rheumatism, that's what they... There we go. That makes sense. Also against scrupulosity, um, which I don't know if you know. uh, I mean, like, based on the word scrupulous? Yeah, it's scrupulosity is like you're really concerned about very minor sins. Okay. He's the same... For chillness. Yeah. He's the saint about being a little bit more chill. <laughs> Patron saint of confessors for moral theologians, moralists, scrupulous people, theologians, and vocations. Cool. Awesome. And that is St. Alphonsus. Great. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode. Our theme song is by Adam Griffin. By the time this comes out, his show will have happened in Chicago. I'm sure it was great. Brian will tell us all about it next time we record. Our logo and editing are both by David Griffin, his brother, but neither of them are our favorite member of the Griffin family, but someday we'll tell you which one actually is. What if you want, you can tweet at us. We'll do that shout out later. <laughs> uh, if you want, you can tweet at us at School for Heathens. Email us at SundaySchoolForHeathens at gmail.com. Anything else? Any special thanks? Anything from you, Brian? Nothing else for me. Since we occasionally do fun facts about David... David's girlfriend is French and is going to complain about my French pronunciation, I'm sure. Marie, I know you follow us on Twitter now. Please send us pronunciation guides from here on out. Thank I, you. We, know, we all know I don't ask people for pronunciations before we record. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, if that's all, amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. Amen.